You're listening to the Happy Pill Podcast with Ursula Yerdung, a podcast about sharing my trials through trauma and mental health issues. This may be my journey, but I'm not alone in these issues. Thank you for listening. Welcome, friends. I'm just going to continue on from my previous episode here. Oh, God, so sorry. I didn't even realize here I am doing that again. Another big sigh. You know, sighing is actually very healing. It really is. I recognized over the years that sometimes that has become a tool for me. Just sighing. It's just that that release of that pressure and it's freeing. So, so continue with my mom and where I'm at right now. I need to go back and explain a little bit with my mom. I'm not sure if I mentioned that uh, growing up, you know, when I immigrated to Canada, I was really young. My father had molested one of my siblings, which had caused my mom and dad to divorce. And then I was forbidden to ever see my father. Well, I, I wasn't forbidden. I apologize. My father was forbidden to ever see his kids after that, which is my brother and I. I have four siblings in total. And... Um, And yeah, I never saw him again. Never saw him again until I was 35. That was the first time I'd actually met him. What hurt with, with mom, with my whole childhood was not only was my dad a pedophile, but then my mom started a relationship with a married pedophile. And that pedophile, obviously, um, he abused me as well as my, you know, other, other family members and, you know, Mom had admitted to me that, you know, she stayed with him because he gave us food. You know, we were very poor living out in the country. Mom was struggling with work. Um, Yeah, mom was struggling with work. She would work at the mushroom plant. She always told me that that one was her favorite job, but it was really difficult to feed us. And I think being in a new country, still trying to know the language, trying to raise kids, you know, three children on your own, um, and then someone comes in to try and help out, you accept that help, be- help because, you know, you're struggling so much. And this is what mom had explained to me. For the longest time, my mom had talked about not knowing what was happening to us. So she wasn't aware that by taking these gifts and having a relationship with this man that he was in fact abusing us, abusing me. Sorry, I can't speak for others. I can only speak for myself. It would be many years later after confronting her with it that she did finally admit that she didn't want to believe what was happening. However, that doesn't negate what actually happened. So although I can understand that logically, what I have always had a hard time understanding is why did she leave me in that situation for seven years? Why did that have to continue for so long? You know, why did I need to to be neglected, to be abandoned, to be ignored, to be called Thundercloud? I mean, for fuck's sakes, I was five years old and I was already called Thundercloud because I was in a bad mood. Well, yeah, that's because I was already raped for two years and it would still go on for another five. It, it's been such a struggle with, with my mom. And of course, I didn't know this stuff when I was younger. This happened, you know, a lot of this information would come out when I would get, um, when I was older, when I was getting into my thirties and, and forties, you know, a lot of this information would come out. So, which is probably why I'm still struggling so much with my mom 
right now because the more that I heal, the more stuff is starting to come up. And as I've done a lot of healing with, um, with the man who had abused me, now comes the other layer of the onion, which is my mother. So growing up with her and having us stay in this situation for seven years, she then eventually gets out of it and finds, which that would be eventually, my stepdad. And I remember the first day meeting my stepdad. And, and I saw him step out of his Buick boat of a car with those metallic reflective sunglasses, hair completely slicked back. And at 11 years old, I knew right away, I didn't like this guy. I just knew it. And now it could be the fact that he's a, he's a man, you know, and I was already being molested and raped by that time. So the last thing I wanted to have was another male figure in my life. He was not someone I was close to at all. I could never call him dad. That was never the way it worked. And the energy was just different. He didn't abuse me like what uh, what the asshole had done. But he wasn't a father figure either. Like he certainly wasn't, he wasn't kind. He wasn't gentle. He, you know, he loves my mom. Absolutely. He absolutely loves my mom. So yeah, great for her. But, you know, we struggled. We struggled and I certainly struggled with him. So growing up like that, I felt so abandoned by my mom. It's, I, I didn't understand that once again, it's like she was choosing another abusive person as opposed to choosing her children. That's kind of what it felt like to me because it didn't matter how many times I said like, oh my God, like, just don't like this guy. Why are you here? Why does this keep happening? Why can't we go? And I was the youngest of everyone. So I had to stay the longest, which was really, it was not fun for me at all. You know, I was happy when I could finally move out and be on my own. You know, but it, it took a while. And quite often, you know, through those years, mom would actually help me out financially. And so this started this kind of, I would say, an unhealthy codependent relationship with my mom. You know, she knew in a way that because she wasn't available to me, she she couldn't protect me, she couldn't nurture me, she couldn't love me, that finances were one way that she could help me to help um, express her love for me. That was her way of like protecting me. Ideally, that is not how I wanted to be protected by a mother, you know, but that was the way that she knew. That's kind of challenging to deal with. And as I get older and as I heal through the layers, I do understand it more. I do understand more coming from mom's perspective. However, what is difficult to understand is the hurt that I feel that's still coming up. I was on welfare at 11 years old. I first moved out um, with my sister when I was 11. So I was on welfare. I was actually on welfare. And that $211 a month would go to my sister to help take care of me, to feed me, help cover for rent, give me clothes, all that kind of stuff. I didn't understand at 11, like, why am I moving out? You know, I was, I felt, I felt like I was used as a tool between my mom and my sister. I felt, why isn't my mom protecting me? Why doesn't my mom want me? Why doesn't she want me in the house? Why is she staying with him and not, not taking care of me? That would happen multiple times, you know, over, over like a decade or so. 
And there was times in my life, like in my 20s, and I think even in my early 30s, where it's like, oh my God, have to move back home. This is just a shit show. Don't really want to do that. But, you know, it's it's life. There is sometimes there are just moments in life that were just too hard. And one of them was when I was catfished a few years ago. That was whatever episode, that episode I did back, I think in 2019, where I explained the catfishing and I had to move back home because I didn't have any money. I, I had nothing. I was trying to make it out in Vancouver. And, you know, my mom was there. She could support me at that time. You know, that was a big mental and emotional breakdown that I had. And so my mom was there for me. And I'm not saying that my mom is all bad in, in all ways, no. Like, not at all. Like, she is she is a product of her own abuse and her own childhood and everything that she experienced. But what I feel like I need to talk about is what has really been coming up since uh, June of 2022 and that I was getting so triggered by her now being in the hospital. And the fact is that she still couldn't see me. She still couldn't hear me. When I met my dad at 35, I was in university. I was finally finishing finishing up my, my fine arts degree and I wanted to know who this person was. Why did you leave? I wanted to know the truth. Like what the hell is going on? So I did meet him. Um, and that was challenging. Meeting dad was actually challenging because one, I had known and was familiar about, you know, this past, about what he had done, you know, to my sibling. And and I was like, okay, I'm going to then confront him about this. Not confront, I wasn't angry, I wasn't rah, 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 rah. But during that time, when I knew dad for about a couple of years, I did want to know the truth. And he actually admitted it to me. I remember us sitting out... Um, in this this strip mall parking lot and sitting on one of the parking medians that was out there and it was a summer day he held my hand and well he grabbed my hand actually and he just said you know i was 24 i did this i was drinking at the time which he was still drinking and i had done this two or three times i had touched this person inappropriately and he had tears in his eyes and he apologized well, I had a shitstorm of thoughts going through my head and just emotions that I couldn't even understand at all. And it's and my first thought was like, I'm not the one that you have to apologize for, you know, or, or apologize to, you know, I want the apology that you failed as a father and you didn't protect us and left us in the hands of this other pedophile for seven years when a father should be protecting their children. That's the apology that I wanted that I never received. This apology that he wanted to do, he wanted to offer that to my mom and he wanted to offer that to my sibling, which, I mean, at that point in my healing journey, I'm like, well, yeah, how many abusers will actually come and say, yes, I did do this. Yes, I am wanting to apologize and be accountable for that. And it's like, you know, you could go to jail, right? There is, there is no law against this. There's no time frame. And he said, yeah, you know, I know. And it's like, uh, okay. So when he actually met my mom again, after all these decades, uh, like over three decades, you know, he apologized to my mom and then that was it. All of a sudden they decided to get back together and mom left John and then he left his wife. And then what the 
fuck, mom and dad are back together again. Are you kidding me? But that's what they did. You know, they loved each other so much. They just, they did. They were each other's love of their life. You know, that's what they both admitted to me, even though they admitted it separately. And I was like, wow, they're back together. And wow, that did not sit well with me. And I said this to mom. I said, how do you think this person feels knowing that you're going back to the person who molested them? Like, seriously, did you give that a thought? I don't think it was enough of a thought. Um, It didn't sit well with me at all. To apologize is one thing. To acknowledge how much of an asshole you were is one thing. Uh, He couldn't even acknowledge that he was still an alcoholic. But um, yeah, that was really tough. And I have no harsh feelings towards my sibling at all who did not want to have that conversation, who did not want the apology. Absolutely. I 100% can understand and respect that decision. So... Sure enough, what ended up happening is, you know, mom comes to me. Oh my God, your father's drinking so much. Really? That's a surprise? And honestly, it surprised me how much it was. That I couldn't understand. So she was showing me and and everything and we were measuring things out. And he would have these like, these massive Mickey bottles. These like, uh, this Canadian rye uh, whiskey bottle and they were huge they're like the co- again here we go Costco it's the Costco size whiskey bottles and he would go through three of those in 10 days and he drinks them like straight up like he's got ice in there and I was just like so I'm not a drinker so I'm just like holy fuck that seems like a lot of alcohol and it was and you know and I actually confronted him about that I was like you need to um, I can't even remember the exact words that I had said but I, in, in fact, I was actually defending my mom, if you can believe it. And I said, she doesn't deserve to go through that because I knew of the abuses that she had gone through. I knew of how difficult of a challenge it was for her. I knew that she was raped in her first marriage. And this is her second marriage with my father, the third one with um, my stepdad. But so I knew how abused she was in her first marriage. And it's like, she doesn't deserve that. And as a human being, she does not deserve that. Well, he didn't like that. He didn't like me standing up to him. Mm-hmm. Nope, he did not like that at all. So when my mom finally uh, spoke to him about it, they broke up and he blamed me. What the fuck? <laughs> like, seriously, what the fuck? You know, he, he completely blamed me for ruining their relationships. Like, no, your alcohol actually did that for you. So that just pissed me off. Um, he came to the house and picked up his shit. I don't really care. And honestly, I have not seen him since. And that has been probably, oh my goodness, probably about 12 or 13 years now. And I'm actually at peace with it because I know during that time with my dad, I had found out the truth of things. I had done my best to use my healing tools and techniques to know that they did not have easy childhoods. Um, I, I don't condone their actions of what they've done that I don't, you know, but they are human beings. Um, and I just came to peace going, no, I stood up. I said what I said. I said that his alcohol is a problem. He argued me, argued with me one time saying that I was dead to him because I couldn't accept their relationship together because it just felt so wrong to me. And then he closed the door in my face and said that I was dead to him. Like, I've done my bit. I did my bit. 
I wanted an apology from him. I wanted him to say, I failed as a father, I'm sorry. Never got it. I gave you the best that I could, which was my time and attention and some forgiveness. I don't know, it's, it's really hard for me to forgive those acts of pedophilia because quite frankly, those acts should never be forgiven, in my opinion. So when they broke up, mom was all distraught. She was all upset. So she was living with me at the time and she just was so depressed. She kept talking about, oh, you know, what's worth living? What's worth living? Then I'll have to go back to John, da, 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 da. And I was like, what the fuck? You know, I was taking her out volunteering. I pulled her out of that situation. It's like, you can have a new start right here, right now. You can start all over. Doesn't matter if you're like in your early 60s. Do you know how many women leave their husbands and live a healthier life after that? You know, and vice versa. I'm sure there's lots of, you know, men that do that too. And so it just pissed me off. You know, we were volunteering at Zoo Lights at the time. So much fun, everything. And all she kept talking about is just this, woe is me, this suffering. And she wanted to die. She always kept talking about she wanted to die. She was going to kill herself, wanted to die. And I finally just said, go ahead. Yep, yeah, I I, because I couldn't take it anymore. I couldn't take it anymore that she kept bringing it up no matter what I did to help her get out of things and that she wasn't willing to, to be proactive in her life and go, I am free now. You know, she didn't want to do her therapy. She didn't want to go get any more help. She didn't want to be on her own. She felt like she needed to have some person in her life who was still an abuser because that's the only world that she knows. And I remember, um, I remember that night and she looked at me and was shocked, like, how dare I actually go against what she's saying? And it's like, what? I said, if this is what you want to do, there's nothing I can do to stop you. If you want to do that, like, I'm sorry, mom, I will mourn you. I will have your funeral, but I have to live my life. And then she started to get a little better until she decided she's like, oh, well, then I have to go to John. If I can't have your dad, I got to go to John, back to John. It's like, no, you don't. And so on our drive back from one of the volunteering nights, I, I actually was just starting to scream at her in the car. Like I was screaming and I told her, I said, you have choices. I said, choose me, look at me, see me, hear me, choose me, your daughter, the one who's helping you all of this time. She couldn't see me. She couldn't hear me. And she went back to John. And that was, I mean, that's, that's her life. I get it now that that is her choice. I get it now that that was the, the right best choice for her. I don't necessarily have to agree with it. It's not my life, but that's hers. That's hers. And it really, it hit so hard that night and it hurt so hard still not being looked at, still not being heard, not being chosen, because that totally reminded me of what happened to me as a little girl, completely ignored. You know, she never came to any sporting event of mine. It was always, you know, other families um, and my friends on the team that would always come and pick me up and say, where are your parents? Oh, they don't come to these things. You know, when I begged and pleaded for my mom to come to my theater shows, she was the last one there and the first one to leave. She actually came onto the stage one time just after we had finished bowing. All of us in high school, after our show, you know, we finished our bow and she would come onto the stage and she said, okay, I have to leave now. All of the family members would at least wait until we exited the stage 
meet us outside in the atrium to say, hey, great job, good, you know, congrats, this was awesome, give roses, give flowers. I mean, it's high school. You know what I got when I get home? Oh, that other girl was so much better than you. Her accent was better than yours. Right away criticism. Because she doesn't know how to support unconditionally. She doesn't know how to love unconditionally. She just knows how to judge and critique. And it was always on me. So that night in the car, she still couldn't hear me and see me. So what happened in June of 2022 was the same thing. She wouldn't believe me that her confusion was causing more depression and was going to cause a, a serious mental issue, which it did. You know, it caused a stroke, which is now heavily leaning into dementia and confusion. She wouldn't believe me. She, she had to believe other people. And so what's happening now this second time around, which is really highlighted so much hurt. And this is what I've been talking about lately with my therapist, Sean, and I do apologize if you're hearing the um, sirens in the background, um, is I'm now sitting and recognizing all the hurt and the hope that is gone. I had hoped for so long, for decades, that my mom would eventually just see me. Like really just see me. Don't You don't need to buy me anything right? And I've told her that. It's like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. You've helped me out a lot. I've helped you out a lot. I'm okay. I just want unconditional love. And now what I feel like is that hope is now gone because mentally she is disappearing. And this is where I'm actually really stuck. This is where it hurts because that recognition is she's never going to see me the way that a little girl needs to see her mother or her mother needs to see her even as an adult now. And I can understand I've done decades of healing and, and stuff like that, but it doesn't take away the pain. And so now on this next layer, the next onion peel that's, that's, that's kind of coming up is that there is that hurt there. There's that anger and that, that hope is gone. So it's a loss. And I now see my mom diminishing right? And it's still me who's there. There's still no one else that's helping her, right? It's it's still me. I'm asking for more help, which is great. And I do think the, the other family members are starting to come through more, um, especially her other kids, which I think is good. I think it's important. But, you know, there's the hurt. There, There's that hurt in me. And now, now with this latest episode um, of of her confusion, it's like with all the testing, they can't find what it is. They don't see any new strokes. They don't see the bladder infections, the kidney issues. All her tests are coming up normal, but yet her delusions, her hallucinations, she is attaching onto them. She's latching onto them so strongly that she can't let go and everything is negative. Everything is scary. And, and this is wrong. And now she wants to go back home again. And, and I'm, this is where I'm struggling friends. I don't have the language to deal with my mom right now. Like I don't know how to communicate with her in, in this state because she's so repetitive. Um, she's so scared. She's so frightened. She wants to go back home. And once again, she's becoming, um, almost like, angry that uh 
that she may not be going home this time, that she can't have her dog. She can't understand why she can't have her dog. And once again, that, that, um, as her agent and as her power of attorney, you know, that it's still enacted that personal directive where no, she is, she needs to get supportive living care. Right. I, I allowed it last time for her to go back until she finally broke me. And I was like, that's fine. You do whatever you want. Now that's not an option because it's not safe for her to go back home. And John, he has his own health conditions that he needs to worry about. He's 87. He can't take care of her the way that she needs. So I'm stuck in this position of like, how do I communicate that to her? She had this moment of cognition and recognition saying, yes, I'm, I'm fine. I can go to a home now. You know, the first time she was so tired of all the stress from John and all the arguments and everything that he does. Well, it all came up again. And, you know, and I don't know how to communicate with her. It's like, no, mom, you chose this time around that you wanted to stay in the hospital until you can go into a home. And how do I now enforce that in a kind way? Uh, because now she's going to back. She's going back against that word. She's like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm gonna, I want to go home, you know, and be there for my dog. Oh my God, good God, just leave the dog. Let John take care of the dog and you go into a home where you can be, when you can get your needs met, your, your medications will be there on time. They have physiotherapists there to help you with your walking so that you can be stable again. You can have your walker. You'll be on one floor. There's no more stairs for you. You don't have to worry about cooking and burning things in the house. You don't have to drive anywhere. They actually have buses that can help you take you to activities. And, and she's just adamant about it. And I don't have the language. I don't know how to stop all these delusional conversations that she's having. And and I understand it's like, be gentle, be kind about it. And I have, but the message isn't getting through because once again, she can't hear me, you know, but yet she chose me to be a part of this. And, and it, of course, in some way I'm responsible for that choice as well, but I'm struggling with this language when she goes off and she's having another panic attack and she's afraid and she's so convinced that she's living in two homes and that now John has another girlfriend or John's working here and doing this and doing that and where that's her reality in her mind, but it's actually not the reality in the real world. And I don't know how to navigate that. So if you have some, you know, some words of advice, friends, I'm open to listening to that. You can comment on, uh, you know, on my pages where everything is is listed, because this is where I'm really struggling. I'm struggling with the the PTSD that is coming up. I'm struggling with um, the language, and to deal with her, and I'm struggling with the stress of all of it. And I'm not the only one. I am not the only one, which is why I'm sharing. I'm not saying please drop your world. Oh my God, we have to help Ursula. Just saying, if you got a kind word here and there, if you know something from your own experience, please share. Right. I mean, that's the point of this podcast is that we have to share. We got to share this information. <sighs> hey, that was, <laughs> that was the only other big sigh in this episode. That's actually awesome. I just thank you friends for, for listening because you know what? It's, it's just truth. We're, we're all having these experiences and I just really want to thank you for listening and we'll see what happens in the next episode. Friends, suicide is a very serious issue. This is not something to be taken lightly. If you are requiring some help, go to TalkSuicideCanada or TalkSuicide.ca. 
Their toll-free number is 1-833-456-4566. They're open 24-7, 365. If you want to text them, text at 45645. Please don't let this wait. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you require more support and information on depression, please contact your local healthcare provider, distress center, or in Canada, go to canada.ca and search mental health support, get help.